Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, let's get on with it. I, uh, I'm here to take the beating. Uh, we are going to get to uh, caught up with Kevin Van Valkenburg from ESPN a bit earlier. We want to do this in person. We were planning to uh, have a joyous Sunday evening podcast recording with a lot of laughs. It's not the same. It's just not going to be the same. We ended up uh, on the opposite sides of town, so we actually had to do this via Skype. So uh, regretfully, we weren't able to be in the same room, but uh, you guys will enjoy what Kevin has to say, and you will enjoy me eating a lot of crow and sulking my way through the next hour. Uh, Before we get going, I want to give a very heartfelt congratulations to the Callaway European team members, Sergio Garcia, Henrik Stenson, and of course, Alex Norin. All gaming Odyssey putters this week, including Sergio's custom Toulon Atlanta made specifically for the Ryder Cup. Uh, And Odyssey, the number one putter at the Ryder Cup. Listen, I'm just so absolutely thrilled for the fellow uh, Callaway staffers. That's really what it's all about. And uh, I'm just, it's basically a win this week, seeing so many Callaway guys play well. And uh, I'm not at all bitter or butthurt about uh, what happened this week. No, I'm handling it fine. Um, and you, you'll hear that. You'll hear that. We're, it's, a, it's a joyous occasion to celebrate this wonderful uh, event. So without any further delay, here is Kevin Van Valkenburg from ESPN and our recap from the 2018 disaster of a Ryder Cup. All right, Kevin, where do we start? Where, what's first? What's, I don't want to be the one that determines where, uh, where we go from here. So I need you to kind of give me some guidance here as to what, what do we do first? Uh, yeah, I imagine this, uh, this pod, post-Ryder Cup pod, is going to be a little less joyful than our previous one. Uh, uh, well, I was regretting initially that like Porter and, and uh, Porath weren't here. That, so we could, I was like, oh, we're going to miss out on recreating all the joy yeah. that came from the, you know, from the, or at uh, Hazeltine two years ago. But I don't regret that at all anymore. <laughs> now like, we're good. Let's just, let's just kind of get this over with and get on with you our lives. You won't listen to this somber pod a couple times reliving the misery of uh, the beat down in, in Boulet Paris. I'm trying to come to terms with like, am I happier that we just got crushed or would it have been better if it was close? I don't know the answer to that. I don't. All I know is I have a lot of questions. Uh, You are the trusted journalist among the two of us. So I I kind of rely on you to be like, what are the questions that people should be asking right now? I guess my first question that I keep asking myself is why didn't I see this coming? Like, I didn't pick a blowout. Like I didn't wasn't one of those people who thought it was going to be like a touchdown uh, <laughs> scoring difference. And I'm not talking you did this, but uh, I saw that that pick by a, a trusted, legitimate journalist, big J journalist this week. I picked it as like a one point American victory. Um, but why didn't I? Why did I fall into the same trap that Americans always fall into, which is that we never sort of like think about how much the course setup is going to be different and and really think about like how how well they're going to sort of pair together and how well their their journeymen are going to sort of come to life i mean i i don't maybe 
maybe the course, I don't, I don't really remember the course being this big of a factor in Glen Eagles, but I just don't know why I didn't uh, think, anticipate ahead of time, like, hey, there's a lot of evidence uh, sort of in, in the barrel here that shows that it doesn't really go well in Europe and why I, why I didn't uh, stick to that. I'm, ask, I'm, I'm glad you, you started with that because I kind of, I was pretty dismissive of the golf course leading up into this and there's a million things I was wrong about. Uh, that, that one is probably the one that I was the most wrong about. My general assumption, I think a lot of our kind of general assumptions was like, all right, let's, let's accumulate our best talent and these guys, while the course doesn't set up great for them, they're capable of hitting irons off the tee, hitting them straight, hitting it into the fairway, and still being really good at hitting the ball into the hole. And I felt obviously felt fine through morning four ball. Uh, that format was has been good to us in the past and was good. And then foursomes, I, honestly, it shook me how bad yeah. that they played in foursomes. I mean, it was it was jarring, and I think they got shook after that. And after that, yeah. it just was it was never the same. And I. I there was almost no recovering from that. I as much as I wanted to believe that, and as much as I was harassing the Euros for giving me a hard time Friday afternoon, like it kind of felt over to me at that point. Yeah, I mean, it was a beating. You know, think about how bad the United States has been in Ryder Cups in Europe over the last twenty-five years. This is the first time they've ever gotten swept in foursomes. So it was as bad as it could possibly be. Like just the fact that they at that, at that point they won five straight matches like that was a huge huge swing of momentum they won the last match in the th- in the four ball and then they won four straight uh, i mean it, it was eight straight total across the two sessions and going into the next morning like i wonder like what the actual chances were of that happening i mean we're, we're up three nothing like three nothing and then we lost the Ryder cup by seven like it wasn't even remotely close so to so get this i just was crunching a few numbers yeah. we won the last cup 17 11 Justin Thomas was not on that team. We added JT. He went four and one. And this week, Rory went two and three. Rose went two and two. And Rom, who has just terrified me for two years, went one and yeah. two. Yeah. And we lost by seven. Like, how is, how is it? It just doesn't add up. If you told me those those numbers, I'd be like, oh, okay. So, like, did we win by 12? Did we break the Ryder Cup? Is it is it like yeah. is it all over? But, I mean, if you really look at it, man. So, off the top of your head, how many European players do you think had winning records? Gosh, uh, I would think that, God, eight or, I mean, nine, ten. Like, the only person I can think of who had a losing record was Rom. I think because he, he got his first win against Tiger today. They had five players with winning records. What? <laughs> I, I was flabbergasted by that. Molinari went five and zero. Oh. Fleetwood oh, went yeah. four and one. Sergio three and one. Henrik Stenson went three and zero. Oh. And uh, Norn was two and one. Everybody else was five hundred or worse. I, I mean, I'm going to own up to this take, and you can own it too if you want. But uh, I thought Stenson was going to be washed. I thought that we were joking about it. That he, this was like their Westwood in, uh, in Hazeltine. And him, they used him perfectly. Like the way that I wrote this in my column today, the way that uh, Bjorn used Stenson, probably the way that he should have, that uh, Furek should have used Tiger. Just play him in all shot. Those points are just as important. Uh, Tiger's obviously really good of a ball striker and a really good putter. And, you know, you, don't ha- you only have to hit half the shots. So you're not quite as like mentally worn out. And I think that that might have been a, a much better, especially when you saw how drained Tiger was and how just completely, like, kind of out of it he seemed uh, from the start of the week. 
that would have been a much better plan. And Bjorn just kind of, he knew he wasn't going to get Stenson for every match with Rose and he just used him perfectly. Yeah. I definitely didn't see that coming from Stenson. Even I think after his first match, he came out in alternate shot on Friday afternoon and he missed a putt early and he just looked shaky early. And I I think I was first to leave the comment like, all right, yep, he's this year's Westwood. And he went three and Oh, like again, just, just an absolute victory lap around all of my takes, both during the week and the two years (laughs) leading up to it. It's, it's a, it's, I'm taking barrel fire fire over here, man. Part of it, listen, part of it, I deserve and I will, admit uh i did predict that the u.s would win by three i think yeah, that okay. a lot of people that are that li- a lot of europeans that listen to this podcast think that i'm alan shipnook and that i yeah, de- no. declared that the Ryder cup is over and then it's the u.s is going to win forever i did say and i stand by this that the u.s i said this before 2016 i said the u.s will win four out of five and mm-hmm. I think France is the one we're most likely to lose. I feel very good about whistling straights. I'm fine with Beth Page. Italy, I still think I think the talent is going to be overriding. I'm balking at that a little bit, just seeing how ridiculous this course messed up uh, the U.S. team this week. But I still I stand by that. I think your U.S. team is going to be dominant for years to come in this event. I I dominant might not be the right word after what we just saw. Cause what we just saw was dominant. I mean, that was, it, it wasn't even remotely close. Yeah. I think that as bad as this might feel for Americans, that in a lot of ways, they're still set up so much better for the future than they were a few years ago. Like if you essentially like if tiger and Phil are they're either, this was their last one or maybe tiger will play in one more, whatever but like if you think about like jt and spieth being your sort of new tiger and phil going forward the guys who have to sort of galvanize you forever and are gonna compete with majors you're in such a better position going forward than you were with tiger and phil because for whatever it is they've played 83 matches and they've lost like 44 of them (laughs) it's just there's no like it doesn't make any sense you can make excuses for them but i'm just i'm done with it man i am ready to move on they can be captains and they can you know, probably do a good job with that, but they are just not great players in this event. And it, it's enough to sort of make that statement. I think it's, it's no longer just like, Oh, it's a small sample size, like bull. It is a legitimate thing and nothing can convince me more than what I, my own eyes saw out there. The two of them just did not have it. And it's time to move along. What, but I mean, for did I don't know. I guess for some reason this year I felt like it was different with Tiger, I, and I don't know why. And I I defended the the Phil pick, and I said you know he's been seven three and one in the last three Ryder Cups. I think he's figured something out with this format, and he owns this so much now that he just won't allow himself to play poorly. Listen, he went zero and two. It was pretty inconsequential, really. I mean, his match by the time in singles it didn't matter, and he lost one match in foursomes when everybody else also lost. I thought he got a ton of blame for what happened, which, I mean, if we're blaming play, Tiger's 0-4 record sitting there is just a glaring, just massive hole that just got sucked out. He got Grandy ran up against the Molinari Fleetwood group three times. But, I mean, what could possibly be the reason for these guys being such incredible all-time players and sucking in this event? I know the common answer is, like, they don't care enough. They don't believe. They're not team players. But, like, some of this stuff evens out after time. And this it never evened out with them. I don't think that it's that I definitely think Phil cares maybe too much. Like I think he so badly like loves the action 
and so badly wants to prove. I mean, for whatever reason, whatever he found with Keegan in that sort of stretch where he played really well at Medina and then played pretty well with him for a stretch in Glen Eagles, like that was his partner. Like that was his guy. You know, he had, he actually had some success with David Toms earlier in his career, but I think that he's just, I don't know, his, his game in general, like maybe just isn't really made for match play. Like it just, it's a little bit too wild, a little bit too loose when you, especially when you put him uh, on courses in Europe where you can't really recover all that well. I mean, there's a reason that his record, even though this was not a Lynx course, like there's a reason that his record in Europe was dismal for a really long time and winning the open championship at Muirfield on like the best day of his life, uh, the round of his life was kind of erased some of that, but he was really not a good player in Europe for a long, long time. And so, I mean, some of that I think is, is the case. I think with Tiger, like, I don't know, this weekend maybe was different than some of the other weeks. This weekend, he just looked gassed. Like he looked like there was something legitimately off about him, like whether he was in pain and he was, you know, taking some medication to deal with it or whether he was just completely zonked and couldn't sleep. Uh, but he barely looked like he could keep his eyes open uh, after matches. Like he lived, he legitimately looked like he was going to fall asleep in the press conference today. And so I really don't know, like something was off with him and maybe he just poured so much energy into getting that win that he needed so badly, I think to prove that he could still do this, that by the time the Ryder cup came around, even though I think he wanted it, he was just gassed. He was done. Yeah, no, no, it's kind of not been talked about a ton. Like his interview on the golf channel on Saturday afternoon was just a little bit off. I mean, it just was a bit slurred a bit, just not sharp. So like it just, the, yeah. and I, I know we only kind of break down one of his interviews or press conferences like this, but I mean, shit, I've had half a bottle of wine tonight. My speech is a little bit slurred, but that's for that reason. Like if he's coming off the golf course and doesn't really speak very clearly, it's kind of like, all right, what's, what's going on? Even commentators on sky were talking about he was walking around a lot slower than he usually does and i don't know why that would be i it's something's off and i actually did when you it's funny you mentioned them not sleeping like i did hear uh like in general a report from the team room is basically like yeah tiger's not been sleeping this week or leading up yeah. before the event even started he's like not been sleeping very well so i don't know it, it's it's i i guess i don't know I, I guess i blame myself a bit with like i blame my i blame myself man all right i blame, <laughs> I blame me don't worry in, don't worry so I, I blame you too yes that's fine in that <laughs> As I tried so hard all season to keep everything he does in perspective through the lens of what he's been through, and I threw all of that out once he won, and I was like, okay, he's our god again, and he's going to do this this time, and this time it's going to be different, and it just was not, man. It's uh, – I wish I could – I think – Yeah, go ahead. I think he's just so hard to keep things in perspective with everything that he does, and I am 100% guilty of this too. And I, I always used to be like the Tiger skeptic, even when he was at like the height of heights – uh, I, and when he was at the low of lows, like I was just never quite willing to sort of buy into the myth of not the myth, like being into the magic of it all. And then I found myself getting sucked right back into it. I was like, I finally bought in. I was like, Oh my God, like, you know, he's playing so great and he's, he's able to do things that just, it didn't make any sense to me. And so I, I lost perspective. I sort of did the one thing that I always kind of swore I would never do with him. And in, especially too, in this, like, if he plays in Whistling Straits, if he makes a team on points or if they pick him as a captain, there will be people who will be like, especially if he's been playing well, well, you got to play him in all four or five sessions. Like, you know, he's, he's one of your top guys. It just doesn't, it's not a good format for him. He makes guys uncomfortable. 
they don't like, I don't know what it is if they, he makes the other team sort of fired up, like they really want to beat him. And so it's just a double barreled kind of thing. Like I, I've never, ever seen Patrick Reed play that poorly than the way when he was like, Tiger was basically playing Fleetwood and Molinari by himself without his best for, game. <laughs> yeah. Without his best game. And it, so, you know, when Patrick is not even sort of like, can't even find a fairway, he's like dunking it in the water. Of course, it's going to wear on you eventually. Like, it's just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense, but it is what it is. And I don't think it's going to change. So that's why I almost think that they should just use him sparingly. Like, have him be, have his presence be there. Be like, hey, you're, you're either, you're just going to play, you know, foursomes or, or maybe, you know, you're just going to play two matches uh, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I we had heard leading up to it that he was only going to play three total matches. Um, and I, I don't know what. I think a little bit of panic kind of set in with the with the way foursomes went on Friday with how they sent guys out Saturday because, you know, we had heard that DJ and Kepka didn't necessarily enjoy playing foursomes together. Like their putting styles were different and it just and I, you know, we had heard from people in, close to Kepka that had said like he would probably play with Webb or Bubba that, leading up into this week. And I, so th- this is kind of leading into where where we land with Furyk. In that, uh, what we think of the captaincy, and I, I'm you, I love second guessing. Like I, I absolutely, <laughs> I live for it. But I'm struggling where to second guess. I think it. I had no problem with the captain's picks, and I'm not going to flip around on that. Tiger went 0 and 4, but like that is like ultimate hindsight. You're not not taking yep. Tiger. Imagine if they just didn't take Tiger. Um, Phil was the one that was the big question mark. Um, I argued for it because I thought he could dial it up. I just thought he could. He didn't. It didn't work out. Bryson went 0 and 3. He was an obvious pick. Like you had to take yep. him. There was no there was no decision to be made there. Finau was the last one. He made it really easy too, and he ended up going two and one the only two matches any of the captains picks one which is insane yeah. <laughs> um, but wh- where do we lie with the the captaincy of jim furick and if we're gonna critique it where do the where do the criticisms belong well look i mean i think you and i are both uh pretty openly admitting that we did not think that tom watson did a very good job as the captain and so um i want to sort of be careful in the way that i sort of phrase this but like I was wondering a little bit today if there was some, a little bit of overcorrection uh, in terms of like making it a player friendly environment. Like I, I think Furyk is a really good guy. I think he's very smart. Uh, he's also really close to a lot of those older guys in some ways. And I think like if Furyk had been a little bit more like, I don't know if courageous is the right word, but a little bit more bold, he could have thought this out, and this is, again, this is total second-guessing, but he could have said, hey, Phil, you know what? I don't think this course is a good fit for you. I don't think that you're playing very well right now. I absolutely need you in the team room as an assistant captain. You're going to be the, the next Ryder Cup captain or, you know, after Strick. I need you to sort of, you know, you'll be out there, and guys will be rubbing your belly in between shots, and you're going to help decide the pairings, but your game is just not in good shape, and it's not a good fit for this course. i got to leave you off. And could Fury kind of been able to do that? Would Phil have kind of accepted it and embraced it? Or would he have gone behind Fury's back and politicked and done all sorts of things and tried to basically leverage his way onto the team? I don't know the right answer to that. And, and could Fury have had the guts to say to Tiger, man, you look totally spaced out this week. Like, you are exhausted. I got to use you, like, a lot less than I thought I was going to do. I don't know. Like, it, it's a great kind of what if. Uh, 
I don't want to like bang on Furyk too hard because we have the sort of benefit of hindsight. But I'm wondering like if the neck, if Stricker, it's not really work for, it doesn't really apply to Stricker, but let's say whoever is the captain, let's say it's Zach Johnson in Italy in, in four years. So they don't pick Phil, but it's, it's going to be Zach. I think if you are going to sort of accept that you have to bring different kind of players to a European style course, you have to start like making that clear two years ahead of time. So Zach's first kind of thing, you would have to say, I don't care if you are ninth in points in the, if your game does not fit that course, I'm not going to bring you. It isn't going to be a huge insult to you that you didn't make it. If you didn't make it, you didn't make it. And it's up to my discretion who my four captains picks. And that's how the next captain could have the freedom to say, you know what? A Kyle Stanley is a really good ball striker. And I think he's a great fit for this setup. And so is a Patrick Cantley. I'm going to bring them and I'm going to pass over seven, eight, ten guys to do it because they're all bombers. They're all guys who do not know how to play another's different style of play. They have no experience in Europe or whatever. I think even, you know, it, that would be controversial because there's always going to be people in the media who just don't get that kind of mentality. But if you started that campaign like a year ahead of time and, and just drilled it into people and, and did a little bit of politicking, it would be easier to do than it would be to just sort of say at the last minute, oh, by the way, I'm taking Kyle Stanley and the revolt of like, are you kidding me? Like, who's Kyle? What are you kidding? No, how could you leave Phil Mickelson off the team? How could you leave Tiger Woods off the team? Well, you're trying to win a Ryder Cup. You're not trying to win a popularity contest. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm landing. I'm glad you glad you addressed that. And that uh, again, I had no problem with the captains' picks under the way that they do things and how the players have essentially taken so much more on their plate when it comes to the entire approach. Like Phil is a, a basically a playing captain, and like, and I I I guess where I lost um, I lost my way <laughs> I lost my way, Kevin, is that I I just trusted him. I trusted Phil to like yeah. to have that much pressure. On himself, like all right, he threw Watson under the bus and basically was like, "All right, I'm revamping this system for." And he played well at Hazeltine. I just thought his only way of really drawing the best out of himself was like tripling down on himself to say, yeah. "I am putting my ass out there and I am going to do this for the U.S. and I will be the martyr if we lose, but I'm going to be the hero if we win." And he, in that regard, is the martyr now. Where I question the overall captaincy is along the lines of what you said is they've had two years to they've known what this golf course is going to be. I mean, some things were a bit of a surprise to the guys. I know they were surprised to see how high the rough was up. I knew they knew it was going to be up. but They didn't think it was going to be that bad. And it was mowed yep. back towards the tee boxes, which kind yep. of took them by surprise. Uh, yep. But you had you couldn't. I don't know. You couldn't be that shell shocked at what you saw out there that you forget how to play golf. I mean, that foursomes on Friday afternoon was so freaking jarring. Um, but as much as as much as we want to put on that, it's like, man, all right, are we not taking DJ? Are we not taking yeah. Brooks Kepka? Are we just not taking Ricky on the team? And those guys went one one and four, one two and one, and one and three. At a certain point, it's like, all right, you guys are the, some of the top players in the world. You you've got to step up and. And learn how to play a different style of golf. You got to deliver yep. at, at some level. I mean, this is not an excuse to just that. That's that's where the team lost it. I think is and that's why I tweeted today. I was like, DJ is the biggest disappointment, and it's because yeah. he's the number one player in the world, and he went one and four. And I know it's not the yeah. best best setup for him, but I've got I need more out of you than that. That's for sure. It's not like he doesn't. I don't know. I mean, he plays a very bomb and gouge sort of style, but it's just I don't know. Like 
Justin was able to figure it out. Like Jordan was able to figure it out. Jordan's not a bomber, but Brooks hung in his matches. I, I just don't, I don't get why uh, it it sort of flummoxes them so much. I mean, maybe they just four years is a long time, and so I almost feel like they forget some of the lessons that they've sort of learned previously. I mean, think about it. Like JT's going to be twenty nine when they are in Italy. You know, it's that's <laughs> he'll be older than Brooks is now. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like to think that four years is forever. And so, are they going to? remember like oh yeah they're going to mow the rough backwards so that we cannot miss fairways and oh yeah they're like the greens are going to be pretty slow so we are going to have to totally adjust to that after playing you know at, at east lake and stuff it's just it's a hard thing to do like i always think that one of the hardest things to sort of recover from is when you lose in the olympics because it's just to get back to the next olympics is like a four-year grind yeah and that's what winning a Ryder Cup in Europe is going to be like. It's just, it's four freaking years away. And so it's going to, that's going to dwell in your mind and you're going to forget some of the, some of the important things and, and convince yourself like, oh, we're good. Our game is better. Our team is better. Like our system is better. I don't know. Like until you, sh- until they win one, I just, I don't think I can ever pick them again in Europe until they prove they can do it. All right. If you're a European fan listening to this, are we, are we sitting here? Are we making excuses for the U.S. team in any way? Uh, I think we are making excuses. Yeah, but uh, you can't, I mean, you really have to understand how well they played, particularly like in alternate shot when they were like, you know, four and five under in some of those matches. I mean, it's so hard to play alternate shot. Uh, you know, there's just, you feel an enormous amount of, uh, pressure just to not let your teammate down. And they're just so good at that kind of thing of never kind of like, blaming or eye rolling or you know feeling frustrated or whatever they just pick each other up in this remarkable way and i don't know uh, you know why exactly some of our guys can't do that i mean i here's what i'll say like whenever you try to talk about like why isn't tiger a great rider cupper it's hard to sort of imagine him ever like going over and like picking a guy up and bear hugging him during a match it's just not his personality it's like it's not kepka's personality it's not you know, it wasn't, I don't know, like Matt Kuchar's personality. And so it's just, a, I don't know, like something about some of our guys who've been through this, they're just not kind of built like the guys that are in Europe where they're just a little bit more free spirits. They're, our guys are a little bit more straight edge and, and they don't really have that kind of looseness to them. And I think that that gets to them in that format. That's why the U.S. is just bad in that format. Yeah. And so one other thing, I guess I'll critique on the on the Furyk front is I I was digging so freaking hard for weeks leading up to it and all the way up until hours before the opening ceremonies for what the pairings are going to be. And like the players didn't know, like they didn't know what they were going to be like. And, you know, some guys are like, yeah, no, I think I might play with so-and-so or like, and then the next week would be like, I might end up pairing with so-and-so and And caddies, you know, I'm saying, all right, so who is your guy going to be playing with? And like, I I just, I I think it'll either be so-and-so. It's like the European tour, and the European team has like, they employ it's called the fifteenth club. It's these statisticians yeah. that uh, basically have made models for them to be like here are here's here's what we're telling you are the two guys you should put together for foursomes. Here it is, and like yeah. here's why it's because these two guys were compatible off the tee and blah blah blah. And I've always kind of overrated that just because I think like on the U.S. side they they do so much stuff by feel. It's like oh yeah. like I don't feel like a great we're a great partner a pairing. A something like that. Whereas they just kind of trust the data and are like, all right, this makes a lot of sense for you two guys to go send out. 
here's I'm telling you this three weeks out. Like, so when I'm I played the pro am with Tommy Fleetwood at BMW Championship, yeah. I'm like, so what do you think the pairing is going to be? And like he pointed over, and we were walking down the 16th fairway, and uh, uh, Molinari's walking down the 11th. He's like, oh, I th- I'm probably gonna be playing with that guy, and uh, <laughs> and he like yells over at him something, and it's like kind of did like a little boyish wave at each other, and they went their separate <laughs> ways. I was just like, I didn't think anything of it at the time. Looking back on it, I'm like, oh my god, those are the two guys that just executed uh, our team. And man, yeah. it's I don't know, it's it's it is second guessing, but I, I, it's a very macro second guess of like, yeah. guys, like me, Europe strategy in Europe has got to be different. I mean, it. it I, th- I have no doubt that they're gonna make you're gonna make whistling straight 7,800 yards. It's gonna be wide. Put the pens in the middle of the green just to piss Justin Rose off. And the U.S. <laughs> is probably gonna win. Like it's it's. My question, and this is going to sound like the ultimate butthurt nation here in this, is let's say that is the case, and I think it will be the case. I think the U.S. is going to win big in in 2020 because of the setup. Is it good for the Ryder Cup to to trend so hard in different directions for the home home field advantage? I'm not at all upset about how the Europeans set it up. They have every right to do that, and I commend them for that part of the strategy, and they they played that brilliantly. But my question to you is, is is it good for the Ryder Cup to have such uh, control over setup? I think I love that the home team uh, gets to set it up. And I think honestly that road games should be hard. Like that's why, you know, it's hard to win road games in the NFL. It's hard to win road games in the NBA. Like you can control what you can control. Like it's, it's kind of neat where, especially where like if you win a home Ryder Cup and then, you got to defend it like on the road, you have to go play to that other team's strengths. So you should be an under, like an underdog in that scenario. And if you can upset them by playing better at their style of game, like it's almost more satisfying than that to me. Like if you win two Ryder cups in a four year span, it shows absolutely 100% you are the better team. So in a lot of ways, like the Europeans just held serve. And that's why like when you win on the road, it's such a more satisfying thing. That's why it was so devastating in Medina. Like they thought they had it figured out. They did everything right. And then they just kind of gagged at the very most important part. And, you know, so getting it back, like at Hazeltine, that was huge. And now the Europeans got it back too. And so now they'll have to sort of figure it out. I don't know. Can they really, is Whistling Straits going to be like the kind of venue where they, they can mow all that rough down? I think Pete Dye would like, It'd be aghast if uh, he saw that. <laughs> what would Gary Player think of that if they, uh, if, they <laughs> if they set it up for the European bom- or the American bombers? <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, first of all, I think there should be box jumps in the fairway for the every test here, and then uh, they should have to do arm curls for for fifteen minutes before they tee off. What does he think of Brooks Kepka and his weightlifting oh, regimen? Oh my goodness! I've never, I've never seen a more handsome, a more, a more exciting, uh, a more Gary Player esque man than Brooks Kepka. <laughs> oh man! All right, I want to do. We've, we've uh, I guess, kind of mourned the U.S. here, but I do. I, I think we do owe a ton of credit for the Europeans and how they played, especially Molinari and Fleetwood. And it's just like that. That's kind of where what I a lot, the crux of a lot of the things I said on Twitter this week was just like, guys, like this. A lot of this is just golf. Like I, a lot of it is honestly golf, and that especially on like the DJ Kepka Fowler front, it's like guys, like you just did not play good enough golf. And I don't think it's a whole lot more than that because again, those guys are gonna be on this. team 
team, regardless of whether it's a, a putt putt course or a 9,000 yard golf course. Like it's those guys sh- just should be there and yeah. they got to deliver and they didn't. And so I don't know in that regard. It's like, I don't know what to change other than like hat tip to Europe and be like, you guys, it, they didn't just beat us, man. They whooped our asses. I want to know yep. what was, what were the, uh, you were at the, the, uh, the wrap up press conferences. What were those like? Yeah. I just, as fun as always, I mean, they are just so like Fleetwood is like, and they, you know, you're trying to, the press is trying to get Molinari to say something interesting and he's got that pretty dry wit and, you know, he says something to Fleetwood and everyone kind of looks over at Fleetwood and Fleetwood blows him a kiss and Sergio does his usual, like trying too hard to make people laugh. And so he keeps doing like Sergio's impression of Connor sketches doing Sergio's laugh which is like super annoying, but like very like Sergio in his own way. <laughs> and, you know, they were Rory was talking about how they're he revealed that they're making uh, Bjorn get a tattoo somewhere, and Bjorn's like, oh, "It's going to be somewhere where only my wife can see it." And so it's just like they're funny. Like they're, I think Sergio and Poulter try a little bit too hard to be funny sometimes, but like Rory and Justin Rose and Fleetwood. They're just sneaky funny, and it's just they they make it. They were that way in Hazeltine. Yeah, you remember they, I they remember were that. Sort of, I, I kind of recapped that press conference uh, at the start of the week, just as a sort of a reminder of like they are always kind of the same way. And I think what I do think is kind of we should sort of pay tribute to is like this is probably the last of the sort of Ryder Cups for the group that's won a bunch of them. You know, that's I mean, you know, uh, Hendricks forty two. Ian's 42, whatever. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, Rose and Casey are getting certainly older. They'll probably play in whistling, but that, you know, then they're starting to really age is going to catch up with them. This group is kind of transitioning into the next thing. Like, you, I don't know who's going to be the next generation of young Europeans who's going to come up, whether it's, you know, Victor Hovland or whatever, the kid who just won the US Amateur, the, I think he's Danish or the Netherlands or something. You know, like Matt Wallace, is he a good enough player? Is like, is Matt Fitzpatrick going to get back on? Like, those guys are going to have to sort of fill some of those roles because some of their old Lions are sort of retiring. But like, those guys are still, you know, the guys like Padraig Harrington and like Darren Clark and you know Willie Westwood, and those guys are all kind of hanging around as like assistant captains or whatever. And they've been really good at this. And and it's been, to be honest, like you got to just respect how great they've been and, and pay tribute to that because they've made it fun. They've made this event lot, not dour, not sort of depressing. They've made it a, a joy for their fans and that's all you can ask for them. Oh, I mean, I think that's what, that's what gives like fans like you and I and whatnot. I mean, I know, oh, sorry, you're, you're a journalist. I'm the fan, but like, that's what gives <laughs> us the intrigue. Also. And it is like, we like, we're not, I don't know. I don't want to say we're not used to losing, but maybe it's the American arrogance and just being like, well, why do we keep losing at this? And it just bothers us that much more and it just yeah. doesn't bother them as much. I, not that they don't care. It's the opposite. Like it's just ingrained in them to just have this kind of mentality. Listen, so leading leading into this week, uh, there were five rookies and they had seven guys with experience. Everybody but Francesco Molinari, ironically, had a winning record. And guess what? He was oh four and two, and now he's got a winning record because he went five and zero. Oh. <laughs> Like their only guy that had never won a match went five and oh, Henrik Stenson was 500 leading into it. But everybody else had these huge, crazy winning records. It's amazing. It's kind of hard to to just figure out, like, what changed for Molinari, like, in the last year or so that just made. I mean, like, this is a guy who was sort of a like a never like an, an also ran like he would make 
the Ryder Cup teams, but he was never like a big factor. Like no. He, you know, he had that have against Tiger, which is sort of the most memorable thing. Tiger beat him in another Ryder Cup. But like, you know, I always just basically confused him with his brother. Like I, there was no <laughs> difference between their games. And now one of them is an elite ball striker. There's a major champion and the other guy's out of the, out of golf. Right. Like it's fascinating to me. Like what happened? What changed? I don't know. The flying Molinaris. I, I don't, I, I don't mean to take this at all. I don't dislike him at all, but in, in no. very two recent situations, I've had to root very hard against him. One being the open championship and this one, the most frustrating player in the world to root against might be Francesco yeah. Molinari. Like that guy doesn't miss. Like he, I, I saw him scoop a ball because he was basically chipping for par and, or bogey or something like that. And, and he, he flubbed the chip and had to scoop it. And I was like, Hold on. I've never seen that out of him. <laughs> that is absolutely insane. Um, so leading up into this, I got to address kind of – I. <laughs> I thought I did a good job of being like, all right, now listen, as soon as play starts, these rankings don't matter at all. But like leading up to the Ryder Cup, you evaluate <laughs> kind of how guys are playing against each other, how they fare against top players, how often they beat them. And the U.S. was so dominant. I, you wouldn't believe how many messages I got of, oh, how those – what are those Seki rankings or whatever you call them? It's like, <laughs> listen, I try to make this very clear that anything could happen once it started. And when I – however, I will say that I when I meant anything that happened, it's like, I thought we could lose. I definitely thought we could. I did not think we could lose 17 and a half to 10 and a half. Yeah. So we ran a, a Ryder Cup pool. We had 7,000 people enter it. Yep. And 50 people predicted this, uh, the, the final score right out of 7,000. Wow. Wow. Which I'm actually amazed 50 people got that because that is yeah. absolute insanity. I I managed to pick the right score, but I picked it Saturday night. Uh, I said that the, I didn't. I didn't really have a lot of faith in the American comeback. I, said, I thought that the Europeans would win seventy points, uh, and then in the middle of the day, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to have to eat this because the Americans are winning the first six matches." And then it just all fell apart. Like that's what. At least there's fun. There's always that fun moment on Sunday where you're at least doing the math, and you're like, "This is this is a real possibility. Like we could do this." And then it all just kind of unravels. But it it so. I, I, that's why I had no faith coming into today either. I just did not think it was possible, but the only way it could was like, you throw that red up on the board, the sphincters start to tighten. And like, yeah. you just, it, that, what, that's what happened to Medina was yeah. it, what, it was just like the threat of it made everybody else just start choking. It just happened yeah. one by one by one. And I honestly, I, I had already lost faith. And then there was yeah. a 20 minute span where it just got blood red at the top of the leaderboard. And like, they flashed the leaderboard where I was sitting on the 16th hole and there was audible groans on the hole. And then like they, they would update it on a leaderboard at another hole and you would hear it from the other hole. Like, Oh shit. Like this is, Oh my yeah. God. Look at like, they're like, Oh, we have to turn a match right now. If it ends the way it is right now, the U S wins. And that was kind of, I mean, it's still a long way to go to kind of keep that, but it was like, Whoa, this just got real. And then it flipped yeah. back pretty quickly. It just never, <laughs> it was a short period of time, but it was real there for a second. Um, but I think we also, I mean, we got, we're pretty far into this and haven't really said enough about what JT did this week yeah. at four and one, um, losing in that foursome session that everybody lost in, but yep. just playing all five matches and, and going toe to toe with Rory. I know Rory did not have his best cup and did not play very well today, especially that back nine. But yeah. man, that's the guy we've been, we've been wanting and needing for the Ryder cup. And he, he delivered, he had yeah. a lot of pressure on him coming into this. Like he, he just has been so good for so long and actually never played in one of these 
penalties. I thought he might actually kind of wear himself out. But, man, his yeah. decision to play the French Open, I have no idea on the correlation, causation of that. But whew, that looks like a good decision. Yeah. I mean, he's a really good player. So he probably could have figured it out if he hadn't come. But it was very smart to come. Uh, you know what I was thinking about today as I was walking around? I, I walked with them for you know probably 12 holes or so before I ducked in and had to go start and kind of figure out what I was going to you know, say win or loss. But I was remembering thinking way back before when he kind of just broke onto the scene and someone asked him, Oh, would you rather win a Ryder cup or a major? And he was like, Oh, I had Ryder cup. And it was like a controversial take. You know, if it, it was like, what, why would he say that? Like, I, I don't know. That's, that seems so like, and like, I, I just, he, he might be born for this event. Like he, you could tell it really, really, really mattered to him. And he was the guy who was out there like, steely determination like pounding his chest he i thought you know he didn't make a lot of birdies today but rory hit it all over the map and kept making these ridiculous up and downs like rory his short game was as good as i've ever seen it and jt just did not let it sort of break him like it would have been so easy to be demoralized and be like what do i gotta do to like beat this guy and he just kept grinding and grinding and grinding and then he just nutted that tee shot on 18 which i honestly think shook Rory a little bit. That's made him sort of reconsider clubs. I was like, all right, I got to get this in the fairway. I got to, you know, have a chance. And, and that's what sort of guy, and Rory kind of admitted it, you know, or I think JT admitted it afterwards and said, you know, well, I'm sure he was a lot of pressure when I put the ball down the middle of the fairway and stuff. And then, then it was kind of really great that JT, like, he, I don't know if you could hear this on the broadcast or anything, but like he grabbed Rory on the green and was like, I just want to thank you for like, you've always been so good to me. Like you've always been, such a like a kind person and I really respect how you and everything and Rory was like thanks man it was just like kind of a cool moment uh you know to sort of there wasn't any hate between them like I'm sure they're they might not be friends or but they're certainly friendly and it was cool. It was like a, a very great sort of finish to his Ryder Cup week. I th- I do. I think they are friends. I think they're pretty. I don't necessarily think they hang in each other's houses and whatnot. Rory's got mostly kind of a, a private life, especially these days. But I remember back in 2016, um, after the Ryder Cup, talking with Rory, and he just uh, he was talking about JT back then. He's like, dude, this guy is talent. And then when he won Sony, I just remember he, he like messaged me. He was just like, dude, that's that's the guy right there. Like that's that's the guy. And when he when he won in the PGA last year, he's like, what I tell you about JT? Like he has a lot of respect for him. So that probably along those lines, I'd imagine that Rory, I'm not, I wouldn't say like a, a coach to JT. They're like four years apart in age or not even that yeah. or whatever it is. But like they do get along really well and have a tremendous lot of respect for each other. And it's kind of it's kind of funny. I, I wanted to tweet this, but I, I people got butthurt about it. But I want to tweet like on the tee from Jupiter, Florida, Justin Thomas. And on the tee from the other side of Jupiter, Florida, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, so <clears throat> speaking of JT, uh, you know, I don't think I've said this like on the pod or anything, but you know that I said this privately. I've been a little bit reluctant to sort of think that he can win like a Masters or a British Open, and I'm ready to walk back that take. Like I, he's got a, a, enough game that like it doesn't matter like if he plays it mostly through the air. Like he's he's gonna dust one of those horses someday, and he's gonna. I, I think he can, you know win at least i don't you know it's you can't ever predict someone could win the grand slam because a lot of really great golfers never did but he could easily win you know three of the four legs of it you know what they are i don't know but um so phil help me fill me in kind of on uh some drama that was being uncovered a bit today i I know that Mm. um we knew that 
we kind of had an idea leading into it that Spieth and Reed would get broken up. Um, yep. Spieth played well with JT. He, of course, lost his singles match six in a row between the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup, but that's a different animal. Patrick Reed looked completely lost uh, playing yeah. with Tiger Woods in four ball. What do we think happened between Spieth and Reed? So I could tell you a little bit of a combination based on uh, what I know versus what I saw versus what I think happened versus reading some of Justine Reed's weird burner Twitter account, which was apparently unveiled today and bouncing around the Twitterverse. Uh, There was a very, I would say, semi-awkward moment in the presser afterwards where someone asked, uh, you know, I I really think they, if they were a little bit smarter asking the question, they would have just put it right to Patrick and said, Patrick, what do you think about not playing with Jordan this week? But they were like, hey, Patrick, what do you think about, or Patrick or Jim or Jordan, what do you think about, uh, you know, breaking up that pairing? And Reed and Jordan, like, looked at each other from, they were sitting kind of on opposite ends of the presser, and they sort of smiled at each other, and they stared at each other for a good five seconds. And Patrick kind of raised his eyebrows and looked back at the questioner. And then Jordan jumped in and was like, you know, we were just trying to make a couple good pairings. We felt really good about uh, what we were doing. And then Furyk jumped in. And he was like, yeah, you know, I thought we had two good pairings. And obviously we'd have success, blah, blah, blah. And he, he really tried to spin it like this was going to be a good thing. Uh, and you know what? I think it was a good thing. I, I actually agree that it was okay with splitting them up because uh, I think Brandel might have said this on Golf Channel. You're, I don't know that there's any guarantee that Patrick Reed is going to be like a generational player. Justin Thomas is, and Jordan Spieth already is. So... You, you put them together, you're potentially building a great pairing for the next 20 years. But it's clear that to me that it did not sit all that well with Patrick. And you can look at Justine Reed's alleged Twitter account uh, sort of ripping people for saying that very thing, that it was Patrick who wanted to break them up. Uh, she sort of, after she kind of confirmed that it was her on Twitter, more or less, to Sports Illustrated's, or excuse me, to Golf.com's Dylan Dieter, like she kind of admitted, and, and on her Twitter account she was like, you know, you don't have to like the people that you play with. Ask, you know, Patrick didn't want to break it up. Patrick didn't want to play with Tiger. Ask, want some, somebody ask Jordan. And so in that moment, like, Furyk gets done talking, and it's clear, like, Patrick hasn't gotten a chance to answer, and he's sort of sitting there, and the moderator's like, okay, okay, we're going to go. And I, I kind of shouted out, like, Patrick, Patrick, do you want to answer the question? And Patrick just kind of, like, raised his eyebrows, and he talked a little bit to one of the reporters on the side and was essentially like, hmm, yeah, call me if you want to know the answer. So was it, you know was what? it call me or call us? It was call us, <laughs> call us if you want to know the answer. So, uh, not all is well. Not, I do. I think honestly, if Patrick had gotten that question and just Patrick, uh, which is a good journalism lesson here, always ask the person, just the person most likely to give them a better answer. Uh, he would have probably caused a little bit of controversy in the, in that controversy. And that may still come. We'll see. Like I, I wish I had Patrick Reed's number because I would definitely call him and Justine and ask him what they think about that. And it's not that I think it wasn't, you know, maybe it wasn't the the wrong move, but it clearly bugged him a little bit. It was just he's a an odd kind of duck in that sense. He wanted to uh, he want he doesn't want to feel disrespected. He doesn't want to feel like slighted. Like he was not worthy of it uh, of that of being in with the Golden Boy. And I don't know, like did Spieth wrecked that by saying at some point, like, look, I just don't want to play with this guy anymore. He's, he's annoys me. I'd rather play with my friend. I don't have any problem with Patrick, but I'd rather play with my friend. It's a tough question. And it's probably something that the both of them should get the opportunity to answer, not in a 
press conference setting like that. Yeah, I had speculated leading up to it that I just had gotten the feeling, and I honestly don't remember who had told me or where I'd heard that somebody say, like, Jordan would just like to get out from underneath that, and that Jordan yeah. is used to being comfortable, and he's just not comfortable with Patrick for whatever reason. Patrick just plays so well, and he almost feels inadequate to him, I guess, in the Ryder Cup. was like That's pure speculation, but he yeah. said, and he's, I asked JT about it leading up to it. He's like, dude, I mean, listen, we've been talking about playing team events together for a long, long time. Like, I would love to play a team event with, with Jordan. And I think kind of we've been spinning this almost anti-JT speed you know, momentum just because of how overblown everything is. But like, yeah, like truth of it is they are good friends. And they're comfortable with each other. And they like went to bat for each other and really battled together. And that was, that was yeah. cool to see it actually become a real thing. But totally. then it's like, what do you do with Reed? And man, was he just an anchor to tiger? Uh, I mean, Oof. it was some of the ugliest Woof. golf I've ever seen from a professional. It really was. It was, it was atrocious. Like, and he dropped an MF bomb on live television and, you know, he was, he was hitting it in multiple water hazards. I mean, like the idea that he in any way contributed to that match was, uh, it, it, no way. Like it just, I, I, he flummoxed me and fooled me so much because I really thought maybe I didn't pay enough attention to his form coming into the, uh, Ryder cup as Europeans say, like his form, he lost his form. Uh, but, he totally did. Like he did not play well, and I thought he could just turn it around. I thought about him. Maybe what you thought about Phil was like he would just raise the stakes and be like, "Oh, of course I'm going to play well." And he was just a dog, man. It was terrible. Yeah. I mean, so back to that form point. I know a lot of people were getting on me, like saying, uh, "Like, oh, are you concerned with how guys are playing in the Tour Championship?" And I was like, "No. Like, it's not. It doesn't yeah. matter." I said, and maybe I sealed our fate by saying, "You know, Tiger." could win this week and go three and oh or i'm sorry he could win this week and he could go oh and three at the at the Ryder cup well it turns out he went oh and four on top of that but like <laughs> yeah current form good or bad doesn't necessarily mean anything look no further than sergio who didn't make the playoffs got some yeah. time off go plays a meaningless event in portugal finishes top 10 and then comes out and plays even better this week i mean that was extremely predictable and jordan yeah. didn't even make the tour championship and comes out and plays really good golf of the court i mean it wasn't great here today on sunday but played really good golf so it's all a huge variable and you can't rory played well at the bmw and tour championship and didn't play great this week so i don't know yeah. it's all big it's not necessarily something you can that really matters i guess it matters some but it doesn't it's not the end all be all i guess i could say yeah all right, we got to talk about your boy Ian Poulter just for a sec. Sure, he did it to us. Did it to us again. Well, yeah. I mean, that was I. I, <laughs> I kind of considered that or was expecting that at least in some regard. He went five hundred. He was two and two. Like he wasn't that good. Let's let's. He let's... wasn't that good. He was. There was some. Yeah, you're right. Like he was. He got dusted in one of those matches. Uh, I can't remember which was it. Um, was it Spieth and JT that yeah. beat him? Or? They got – yeah, they uh, – yeah. underrated moment of this Ryder Cup was – all right, I was trying so hard to grasp at uh, the Medina straws. It was 10-4 uh, on yeah. Saturday afternoon, just like it was at Medina. And yeah. Ian Poulter is playing in the last match. And <laughs> uh, a putt was made a, um, by Spieth, and he did the Ian Poulter – pounding of the chest to yeah. close the match to make it 10-6 leading into Sunday. Now, the momentum yeah. felt entirely different, but I was like, hey, like that is a similarity. Spieth pounded his chest at Poulter. Can we talk yeah. about that for a second? That was <laughs> let me let me enjoy something from this Ryder Cup. I just I'll give Ian credit. Like he is he's gotten 
a lot out of whatever talent that he had. Like, and this, this event will always identify with him. Like in some ways it's, he's not the player that Monty was, but sort of a similar thing. Like he just never, he's never got to win. He never was quite good enough to win a major. He never even really was that close. He was not as close as Monty, but the Ryder cups will always sort of be part of his legacy. And I think it'll be really fun someday when he's a captain. I, I think for whatever it is, like I was, I would love to talk to him about this someday. But like, could he? Is he just better at like controlling the adrenaline that's in your heart uh, a little bit when you're standing over putts in this event? Because everybody's nervous. Everybody really wants it, and he's just you know that some of it might be skewed by um, you know just the memory of big putts. But like he just he really is a much better putter in this event. Like he just makes big putts. I don't think he plays like his iron game or his driver isn't like outstanding, but he makes those must make kind of putts to keep his guys either in matches or put away matches. And that's, I don't think we, I got to give him credit for that. It's pretty awesome to watch. Uh, My question is, why does it feel like this has happened like every three months or so? Like, no, I'm serious. Like he didn't play on the 16 team. He was bad on the 2014 team. He didn't win a match. And why does it feel like when I'm seeing him, you know, pounding his chest and screaming, I'm like, well, yep, that's like, I've seen this 50,000 times, but I was like, wait, I haven't seen this in six years, actually. Why does it yeah. feel like I just saw this? Maybe because <laughs> I watched too many replays of Medina, but man, I was just like that, that, that whole thing was like, oh, not this guy again, please no. And it happened. Like it just stabbed me right in the heart and just, uh, you own, you own me, Ian. I, I'll give it to you. Like, <laughs> listen, I hate you with all my, I, I, I sports hate you with all my might and it just Trust me. So um, question for you. What do you think of the way that Furyk handled Bryson DeChambeau? A little weird. Uh, You know, Bryson, I think, is a pretty um, (laughs) it's pretty easy to say he's eccentric. But I think what's also true about him is he's kind of sensitive. There was a moment in the press conference tonight where a European was like, oh, can I you know, ask for a question for all the rookies? And uh, Finau and JT both talked, and then the moderator was like, "Okay, we're moving on." And Bryson was like, "What? What? What about me? Like, I, I, I feel like I have something to say." And so the Chris Harms had to like grind to a halt so that Bryson could sort of say, but he looked like genuinely hurt. I was just sort of it maybe struck me as like kind of funny that we always make a lot of jokes about Bryson, but I think that Bryson's kind of someone who is, you know, he's he's very um, emo in a way. <laughs> throwing clubs and like walking off in the middle of the uh, range session at the British open, like with his hands on his head. Like he can't believe he finished what, like fifth top 15 in that event. Like if that's where you're completely lost, like you got a lot going on in there, man. It's it's not just like math and science and analytics. It's, it's also emotions. And so I don't know, maybe it would have been better to get him out uh, early in a format where he could just play his own ball and be comfortable and not have to have so much pressure. Like he, he didn't play that well. He obviously didn't play that great in that film match, but they both kind of, they couldn't pick each other up. And man, by then it was like, was Bryson's Ryder cup kind of over. It was, it was interesting though. One last thing he, his match was obviously the last match of the day. And so I was listening to the sky sports thing and they were just appalled that he like would not concede the match. Like they yeah. were so annoyed that he would not like that he went to the drop zone on 16 and he actually ended up having that hole to keep it extending it. And they were just like, Oh, like they just wanted to get him out of the way. The, the, the fascinating, like super homerish, uh, like I, sky sports, I think is great in, in almost every way of covering golf, like probably superior to everything in the United States, but the homerishness of the media there where they just like, they live and die with it. 
and completely like, you know, it, oh, that's a nice American shot to two feet. Justin Rose has just hit it to 11 feet. You won't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I was actually, you know, I watched that Sky Sports as well this week, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of what they do. But I, the, the more I listened to it, yeah, the commentary was getting to me. Oh. I thought Butch Harmon actually is a oh my god, he was terrible. He's a struggle bus in the booth, actually, and it is, it's just such a. They were just almost attacking. Paul McGinley was like attacking like the American way of life, basically, like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the way, you know, America, American golf courses are just, they're just way wider than this. And it's just, <laughs> uh, he would say it every 15 minutes. Like they're not used to playing yeah. golf courses like this. And it's, and it was just over and over. I'm like, do we get it, man? Like, and so what happened in the, um, in the press center when the Europeans won? It was a huge eruption of cheers. Of course. Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. It was an entire side of the press car. Like, I, there's a couple of ESPN guys who are Brits, uh, who are great guys, uh, and got to sort of know them a little bit better this week. Uh, you got to meet a couple of them when we were in uh, uh, Berkdale a couple of years ago. Great, just fun people. And they were sort of embarrassed by it because it's like, but just so many. Uh, I, what I think is, is so true, we were joking about this, is that like there's a little bit of like the New York media and the press, in the British press, they're like homers. Uh, but then when things go bad, they just turn into vipers. Like, they completely <laughs> turn on the teams. But the like the whole scale like just roar that went up when uh, Mickelson hit that in the water and took his hat off to sort of shake it was I, I was really like it was embarrassing come on like I, I just I, some people were tweeting at me like what's the problem like why shouldn't they be able to cheer it's like you're covering an event like how are you going to sort of be objective about it? I mean I I wrote three things this week and they were all ripping the Americans like I I'm an American and I like American golf and I want to see them win but I'm pretty like I think I kind of like still able to look at it objectively and i don't think there's a lot of objectivity going on in the other side of the, the media center that day that alarm that you hear in the background is the <laughs> british media coming after you <laughs> uh, the bobbies are coming chris i'm, I'm screwed <laughs> what did you think of the fans how much time did you get to spend actually out on the golf course and what did you think of just kind of the overall atmosphere and the fans the treatment everything that went on it was great i did not um think that it was going to be um as good as it was and it was just you know it's just fun it's my first ever Ryder Cup in Europe and they just do like really everyone kind of kind of rolls their eyes like oh yeah they do football chants but it's like just really fun when the whole crowd is like singing Sergio Sergio and like there, there was a point in the first match today when like they had like four different sections of the crowd chanting Rory at different times so it was like it would kind of like echo throughout the amphitheater and I was I kept thinking like how do they organize this? Like, how do they know how to do this? <laughs> and I think it's because they all grow up like as football fans, as, as soccer fans. And that's the kind of thing that they do in those stadiums is just kind of these cheers that are sort of singing a variety of different things. And it, it was never, I will say, uh, Porath and I were kind of joking about how I was like fact checking the British fan behavior because of all the sort of talk about how British fans are so polite, you know, European fans are so polite. And, you know, the fans in Hazeltine were terrible. There were definitely a lot of European fans taunting Patrick Reed and saying things, you know, Fatty Patrick and, you know, get in the water every time. You know, they booed Finau when he um, made that birdie putt that bounced off of the post and, and fell to four feet. Like, the European fans are not, like, perfect in any way. I, I do think that they're better behaved than the ones at Medina. I'm willing to concede that. But it's not like there aren't 
you know, assholes in that crew too. It's just, there's, there's a lot of fun, a lot of support and a lot of creativity. There were so many people there and they were, they weren't nuts. Like I think probably if the next time the Ryder cup is ever in Scotland or England again, I would really love to go to that because I think it will be fun to see that atmosphere, but they, they turned out great and they were super supportive. Yeah, no, I think, uh, there's, I thought, Hey, I said this on the pod when we did it last year. I was like, Hazel team was definitely too far. Like there were idiots. There were, it was more than a small minority. There was like, it was still a, a minority, yeah. but it was like, there are a ton of people that were verbally abusive towards the players. And it was not cool. Like it just, it was, it was not great. I, I didn't enjoy that part of it. That, so the lows were lower at Hazel team. The highs were also much, higher like the actual yeah. cheers and the support was actually much stronger yeah. at Hazeltine um, totally. but they just the, the highs were lower here and just the lows were not nearly as low so it's kind of just a middle ground I thought the fans were totally fine everything like cheering bad shots is totally within the spirit of the Ryder yeah. Cup but totally it yeah. does happen in Europe I don't want to ever Absolutely. hear again that it Absolutely. doesn't and it'll it'll happen again in 2020 they'll be like oh we never cheer yeah you do which is fine just admit it just be cool like we're cool with it like we understand <laughs> that's what you're rooting for that's fine yeah. but let's just don't act like you're holier than than everyone else in, in that regard but I thought <laughs> I, I was not a media member this week I decided the week before that I was actually going to end up coming special shout out to BMW for all for actually getting me here, which was part of the only reason I actually ended up here uh, as a fan. Not the best logistical setup. It's just yeah. not. There were they desperately need some overpasses to get players to and from certain locations to just allow fan traffic. Yep. And yep. I mean, you can't go out and follow anything because you just get stuck and you never will see a group again or never. You can't get to where we wanted it. when the play ended Friday morning. We were trying to get back to the first tee. It took forty five minutes to get from sixteen green to one tee, which is like within earshot of it. I mean, it's, it's such a such a bad traffic jam. I, I will say. Whistling Straits is the worst outside the ropes. Or excuse me, uh, Chambers Bay is the worst outside the ropes viewing experience that I've ever had. Uh, but this was one of the best viewing experiences if you just wanted to see like certain holes. Like, yeah, you couldn't get, you couldn't travel to, but the mounds around the holes, like you could always see like the action. It was great, and so that was good. They just needed. You're right. You're dead on. They needed some overpasses, or they need some tunnels. They needed better kind of like ways to traffic it's amazing the way that golf people who understand that stuff kind of get it uh you know I, I think usually the u.s open does a pretty good job with it um but you know when a course doesn't have those kind of overpasses to help kind of you know get the players over and get the fans can just go right under and stuff it, it causes so many problems and you're basically stuck you know watching one or two holes and that's what like i, I don't know I've, I've only been to one open championship and the viewing's not usually great at open championships but like at, at port rush like the rna came in and is like building a tunnel behind i forget which green it is because they changed some of the holes around the front nine but behind maybe like six green or something like that there's tunnel they, they spent like a quarter of a million pounds to build yeah. a tunnel behind one of the holes to just just to get fans from one side to the other like just for fans like that's the kind of planning that needs to go into it and I, this is the second Ryder Cup I've been to outside the ropes and it's just I mean it's cool to fun, send the, to drink at and sit on a hill and observe and whatnot but like it's just not the best yeah. it's a fun atmosphere but it's not a great viewing experience or, or fan experience long lines and it's I don't know what you do to quell it I mean you want as many people there as you can but it's just a logistical difficulty for sure. 
So anything else we missed, man? I kept you for an hour. I thought we'd do like 45, but it's just <laughs> too much to complain about. Um, you know, I, I was just thinking about your take of why can't we have the Ryder Cup every year? Like, it's just such a fun experience. Maybe part of that comes because the buildup is two years long, but like, it's uh, it's my favorite event in sports, even still, um, you know, feeling a little less uh, excited. And it wasn't, you know, I think even with, um, obviously, I'd like to see the U.S. win, but I, I like a good story and the Europeans are a great story. I don't know that this Ryder Cup was quite as fun. Uh, last time we had, you know, a lot of dramatic shots and, and that's kind of maybe what the American Ryder Cups offer is like recovery shots and Rory making walk-off eagles and, you know, Phil and Sergio throwing 10 birdies at each other. And that Ryder Cup was just a little bit more fun from the standpoint of, uh, you know, the great golf that the uh, amazing golf shots that we saw, but this one was still really cool in its own way. Uh, I, I didn't think it was going to be what it was. It's, it's sort of really far removed from Paris. And so you don't really feel like you're in uh, Paris in any sense, but um, you know, it's being in a suburb of Paris. Is that different than being in a suburb of Minneapolis? Like probably not that no. far off. <laughs> so I, I just, I'm grateful that I get to do this for a living and come here because it's such a cool event. And I always, you know, you can, you were there too in the first tee. Like the, it's a fun atmosphere when it's finally here and you're finally getting to see the best golfers in the world rip that opening tee shot. It's nothing in sports for me will sort of replace it. Yeah, I mean that first tee is is I haven't I haven't missed it in, in any days in the last two Ryder Cups because it's just such a such a cool. It's it's the only event, man. It's the only thing that matters. I maintain. I mean, that's what makes it hurt so bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm pretty heartbroken about all this. If you can't tell, but it's like it's it's the only event that makes these guys freak out. Like it's they've played majors under pressure, and like Brooks Kepka handled this differently than he does when he's in contention at a major and like that is what makes this event what it is and just the way the, the whole elements of all the team aspect is makes it so special i do it just sucks that like legitimately since 99 there's been two exciting rider cups like celtic manor and medina were the only two exciting ones and it's just like it's it's i don't know that's what i was kind of thinking like it, do we want to just trade off home and homes for eternity and that's that's i don't know i don't think that's going to change but we'll see so maybe yep that's a fair point kevin enjoy you're gonna spend a couple of extra days in paris if i remember right yes i am and- gonna uh see some sights and uh yeah just kind of get to cleanse the golf from me maybe disappear from twitter for a while and uh, be a regular human being and get, get on the gary player workout plan get back in shape <laughs> I've already muted all the euros from uh, from my mentions, but I am gonna. Uh, we're escaping in Normandy tomorrow, and I'm I'm putting the phone away for a couple of days. So, uh, but uh, heck of a season! Thank you so much for coming on after the end of a crazy long week and a lot of work for you. And I always appreciate your contributions here. So, those uh, euros can always be grateful that our grandfathers uh, made it so they could live in a free society. Thank you very much. And we're gonna and we're gonna go check out where that happened and remind them of that along the way. So, all right, signing off from a. Uh, very disappointing Ryder Cup, but uh, Kevin, thanks again for coming on. Cheers, buddy. Anytime, buddy. Yep. Later. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect. 